Hello and welcome back to the Yeshua Judaism series of podcasts. This is another podcast in which I will present proofs showing that Yeshua the Messiah, or Jesus Christ, is not God in the flesh. This is one that I've actually been looking forward to providing because it's it's one of the more commonsensical discussions. And as you'll often hear me say, I try to utilize common sense. I, I avoid the mystical gibberish and verbal gymnastics and cherry-picking of passages, what I'll call verse warfare. You may hear me use that term from time to time. Verse wars is when you have two different people with a different point of view regarding the interpretation of Scripture, and they each will select and pick verses from here and pick verses from there and pick verses from everywhere and hurl them at one another. They, they throw verses back and forth like they're in war, so I call it verse warfare. I, I avoid that. I generally totally avoid that. I appeal to basic, simple, common sense. Does it require verse warfare? All it requires is a simple process of thinking. Think for yourself. Does it make sense? That's the approach I try to take in general, particularly with my proofs regarding how Yeshua the Messiah is absolutely not God in the flesh, as paganized Christianity presents him to be, which is a gross misinterpretation of the New Testament. Well, this discussion will be be with regard to how the Creator God is the God of Yeshua. Now, Yeshua is the true name of Messiah. So, God is the God of Yeshua. Therefore, Yeshua the Messiah is obviously not God. First, a brief introduction. Christians need to realize that fundamental, unassailable proof of Yeshua not being God is found in the simple, common sense, and irrefutable fact that Yeshua worshipped the Creator God as His God. God does not worship or pray to another God. Therefore, Yeshua, as a worshiper of the one true God, is clearly not that God he worships, which happens to be the one and only true God. Now let me state the unstated yet actual positions of all who consider Messiah to be God in the flesh. Number one. They believe that God, as Messiah, prayed to and worshipped a God outside himself, or, in some mysterious way, the human nature aspect of their God-in-the-flesh Messiah, mysteriously and mystically prayed to and worshipped his divine nature within himself. Basically, they advance belief in a schizophrenic man-God, possessing a form of spiritual soul or personality fragmentation, consisting of two totally distinct, yet somehow mystically unified natures. They basically believe Messiah worshipped and prayed to himself, that his human nature prayed to his God nature. Number two, they encourage the idea that God, as Messiah, died. Since Messiah definitely did die, Or perhaps they once again believe that in some mysterious and mystical way, their God's human nature died, while his God nature somehow did not die, despite the fact that such a mystical arrangement at death is never hinted at anywhere else in Scripture. Number three, they believe that God, as Messiah, was tempted by Satan, even though Scripture clearly states that it is impossible for God to be tempted by evil. Number four, they further believe that Satan is so powerful, or perhaps that their God is so weak, that Satan could actually ask their God, as Messiah, to bow down and worship him, which Scripture clearly records as happening in the temptation of Messiah. 
And finally, number five, they believe that God, as Messiah, was a little baby totally dependent upon humans for his safety. Even though the idea that God is dependent upon his creation for anything is beyond senseless. Those who believe in a man-God Messiah, that Messiah is God in the flesh, believe other things just as ridiculous as those I just enumerated, which they usually never openly admit, many of which will be discussed on the Tor Messiah website and in these podcasts. This discussion will center upon this simple fact that God does not worship another God. That being the case, irrefutable proof that Messiah is not God can be found in the common sense fact that he, Messiah, most definitely did worship, pray to, and fully devote himself to a God distinct from him, beyond him, and above him. Therefore, unless the God-in-the-flesh idolaters wish to accept that there are at least two distinct gods, then they have no basis for their beliefs. Christians have been victimized by ludicrous delusions advanced by their leaders. They have been deceived into accepting radically absurd fallacies. Now let's discuss some passages that Christian leaders hope Christians do not ever truly consider. I'll present a sampling of New Testament verses which show that Yeshua is not God, since he, Yeshua the Messiah, worshipped and obeyed God as his God. People, how could it be any clearer? If you have a problem a problem with the translation of one or two of the verses that I will read, how do you explain the others? Let us begin from the Gospel of Matthew, where we read the words of Yeshua as he hung upon the execution stake, or cross, dying. This is from Matthew chapter 27, verse 46, and I'll be reading from the King James Version. Again, this is Yeshua as he was dying. Matthew 27, verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Yeshua cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? A parallel passage is found in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 15, verse 34. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Clearly, Yeshua, during the agony of dying, was calling out to his God. Are we to believe that a dying God called out to another God? If we are to accept the teachings of Christian leaders who promote that Messiah is God, That is precisely what we must believe. Additionally, Yeshua was crying out to his God. Are we to believe that he was crying out to himself? Obviously not. Therefore, he cannot possibly be the God to whom he was speaking and crying out to. Notice he also pointed out how he asked, God why he had forsaken him, again showing distinction between him as he was dying on the cross and the God that he was calling out to. This verse in Matthew harkens back to the prophetic 22nd Psalm, which is a psalm virtually all Christian leaders will claim is a messianic prophecy. I will quote from a portion of Psalms chapter 22, which when, when read sensibly, clearly shows that Yeshua, the prophetic focus of that psalm, refers to God as His God. Not that He is God, but that God is His God. That's the God that He, Yeshua, worships. Are we to believe He worships Himself? 
So reading from Psalms chapter 22, verses 1, 2, and 10. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me, and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. In verse 10, I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Notice, thou art my God. This is Yeshua prophetically. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. He did not say, I am God from my mother's belly. That's not what he said. This single quote from Psalms, as well as other Messianic verses which present the same evidence, prove that Yeshua is not God because he, Yeshua, refers to the one and only true God as his God. Verse 10, which we just read, also proves how Yeshua worshipped the same God we should worship from his birth. Actually, it is not necessary that you even accept these verses as messianic, since, as you will see, there are so many others that prove the same thing. Next, I will quote from a favorite New Testament writing, Trinitarians and others who advocate that Messiah is God run to for much of their alleged proof of his God incarnate nature. If truth be told, instead of proving that Yeshua is God, this gospel is filled with evidence that he is not God. But a person must remove bias and sincerely scrutinize the passages to see what Christian leaders hope they never see. The writing to which I am obviously referring is the Gospel of John. Notice, in the first quote that I'll provide, notice how Yeshua the Messiah, during a prayer to his God, defines the most basic element of faith, the most basic element of biblical faith that is needed to obtain eternal life. I'll be reading from John chapter 17, in which he is praying, by the way, John chapter 17, verse 3, and I'll be using the New King James Version. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one he's praying to, the only true God, and, note the distinction, Yeshua Messiah, whom you have sent. How could Yeshua have been any more specific in his prayer to his God as recorded in the verse I just read? Notice that Yeshua did not say that they may know me, the only true God. He did not say that. However, that is oddly the exact belief Christianity requires a person to accept. In John chapter 17, verse 3, Yeshua is clearly stating that eternal life comes to those who know the only true God which is not the Trinity God, or Him as a God in the flesh Messiah. It is instead the God to whom He was praying, which was not Himself. He was not praying to Himself. Yeshua also clearly distinguishes Himself from His God by pointing out it was the only true God that sent Him. Common sense dictates the one sent and the one doing the sending cannot be the same entity. I discuss how Yeshua was the shaliach or agent or emissary or sent one in a separate discussion, discussion which you will find among the podcast. Tragically, most Christians read right past the clear fact presented in the verse I just read. Even they will state, however, despite their distortion of the principle, that there is no other God but one. Even Christians will state, even Christian leaders state there's only one God. Well, here we have Yeshua within his prayer to that one God, stating that eternal life comes to those who know that God, to those who know his God, to those who know the God Yeshua himself was praying to. And it is quite obvious 
that Yeshua the Messiah is not referring to himself as that God or even hinting at such a suggestion. The only true God to whom Yeshua was praying and whom he said we must know is not the God advanced by most of Christianity. Instead, Christianity Christianity promotes a concept of God adopted from the pagan Roman Empire which birthed the current belief system of Christianity after Rome corrupted the original faith system of the early followers of Yeshua. At least in the 4th century, and actually it began under Emperor Hadrian in the 2nd century, that's when Rome totally corrupted from the 2nd to the 4th century The New Testament faith was overturned, overhauled, kidnapped, and corrupted, and put on a road to total and absolute apostasy. And that's where we are now. So such passages, like I just read, which show clear distinction between Yeshua the Messiah and his God, are very common within the writings of the New Testament. They're very, very common people. Just look for them. They're everywhere. They are not found simply within his words, but are present within the words of all New Testament authors. I once actually highlighted all passages with a green marker within my New Testament, which illustrated any form of distinction between God and Messiah. After doing that, I had hardly a page that did not have green highlighter on it, and some pages were filled with green. The distinction between Yeshua the Messiah and God is literally all throughout the New Testament. It is everywhere. The distinction truly is everywhere in the New Testament. However, for some strange and puzzling reason, most Christians fail to notice it. It is as though the grand deceiver has their eyes covered each time, and those times are frequent, that they encounter passages in the New Testament which clearly indicate Messiah is definitely not God. Sadly, many Christians truly do read right past such verses without taking notice. Of course, I am assuming that they read the entire New Testament which sadly most do not do. Fewer still read the entire Bible. Yet such Christians actually claim to know truth? How can they know truth if they've never even read their Bible? Just in case you're thinking of the oneness verses that appear to equate Messiah and God, I ask that you read a separate discussion on the TorahMessiah.org website in which that issue is addressed, and I'll be putting that in podcast form. Now, to another verse from the Gospel of John. I'll be reading from John chapter 20, verse 17. Again, the New King James Version. John chapter 20, verse 17. Yeshua said to her, Now notice, I replaced Often I'll replace the, term, the name Jesus with his true name, Yeshua, in whatever uh, translation I use. For instance, the New King James, it's not going to have Yeshua. It will have the term Jesus. But I prefer to use Messiah's true name. So again, John chapter 20, verse 17. Yeshua said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Notice, my God and your God, which is the same God, by the way. Notice in the previous verse I just read how Yeshua very clearly states that his God is our God, and by necessary inference, that he is not that God. He also clearly implies that the women to whom he was speaking were not clinging to God, but to him. There is no hint whatsoever that he indicated they were clinging to God. 
Christian leaders wish us to believe that God, as Yeshua, was praying to God in places. Furthermore, they wish people to accept that within the verse just quoted, the women cling to him were actually clinging to God, even though he did not say so, and there is no support for such a nonsensical idea. Just in case you missed it, remember who resurrected Yeshua the Messiah? Did Messiah resurrect himself? No. He was resurrected by the one and only God to whom he refers in John chapter 17, verse 3 the God to whom he prayed and to whom he was absolutely fully devoted. Those who believe in a God-in-the-flesh Messiah would actually have us believe that God resurrected God. (laughs) I mean, it's absolute nonsense. Of course, to be resurrected, that same God would have had to die, which means Christianity teaches God can die. And I'll have a podcast on that also, hopefully within the next couple of weeks. Now to some of the Apostle Paul's writings. Okay, so we'll go into some of the epistles. I will first quote from the first letter to the Corinthians. I add a couple of clarifying comments within parentheses in the written material, and I'll simply read the comments here on the podcast. So I'll first Quote from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him. And, note the distinction, one Lord Yeshua Messiah, through whom, as an agent, are all things, and through whom, again, as an agent, we live. All right. This is a very powerful verse to refute the pagan God-in-the-flesh idolatry. This is a very revealing set of verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4-6. through 6. How can anyone misread them? These verses are direct, unambiguous rebuke. They are a direct, unambiguous rebuke of the false concept of the Trinity or any other God-in-the-flesh Messiah concept. Frankly, the three verses I just read, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4, 5, and 6, is a trinity of verses which disprove the trinity. Note what Paul said in those verses. First, there is one God. Second, there is no other God but that one God. And finally, third, that there is separate and distinct from that God one Messiah. So, not only does Paul show the Father to be the only true God, and that there is no other God except for that one, but he also shows distinction between that only true God and Yeshua the Messiah. Furthermore, the Trinity doctrine of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is slam-dunked and utterly destroyed by Paul's clear statement that the Father is the only true God. Notice what he said. There is one God, the Father. This God to whom Paul refers is not the God of Christian Trinitarians or others who worship a God-in-the-flesh Messiah. Continuing continuing with Paul's epistles, we will read again from his first letter to the Corinthians. This time I'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Messiah, the head of woman is man, and the head of Messiah is God. 
Okay. If, as man-god-messiah promoters teach, if Messiah is God and the head of Messiah is God, then why isn't every man God, since the head of every man is Messiah, whom the man-god, God-in-the-flesh promoters say is God? Get my point? Okay, see if this makes it clearer as we dissect Paul's words. Okay, here's what Paul is basically pointing out in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. First, God is the head of Yeshua. That is, God is over Yeshua. Next, but those who believe Messiah to be God incarnate say that Yeshua is God. Therefore, a rule is established by them. A rule, those who believe that Messiah is God in the flesh, a rule is established by them. And that rule is that the head and the one over whom is the head are equal. Now, they do say that they're co-equal. That's in their, dog, in their dogmas, in their doctrines, that God the Son and God the Father are co-equal. So they're saying, but it says in the, in the passages that God is the head of Yeshua or that the head of Messiah is God. So the Trinitarians then establish a rule that the head and the one over whom is the head are equal. Okay, so to be consistent, they must therefore abide by this rule that they implicitly establish. All right, next. Yeshua is the head of every man. In other words, Yeshua is over you and I. But in order to be consistent, the rule that the God and the flesh promoters establish must be adhered to, since their rule requires that the head and the one over whom is the head are equal. Then Yeshua equals you and I. So, using their required rule, you and I are literally Yeshua the Messiah. Otherwise, they cannot possibly explain this verse. Furthermore, since Trinitarians and others who believe that Messiah is God insist that Yeshua is indeed God, then using their required rule, we are also God. So in order for those who teach that Messiah is God in the flesh to be correct, you and I must be God also. Otherwise, they cannot possibly explain that verse. Of course, utilizing the rule they establish, a man and the one over whom he is the head, that is the woman, his wife, are also literally one and the same. Do any of you know a husband who is his own wife or a wife who is her own husband? The New Testament writings repeatedly contradict any concept of a trinity or God in the flesh. It never ceases to amaze me how so many people who claim to be knowledgeable of Scripture can accept a God in the flesh concept despite the fact it is such an easily refuted doctrine. In fact, it may be the easiest false doctrine of all to refute. I'm continuously dumbfounded as to why people can accept such nonsense. The Trinity and God in the flesh idea is utterly foolish and idolatry. If people would simply put aside their bias and read the Bible without wearing their Trinity glasses or drinking God incarnate liquor, they would be easily able to see the truth. Those verses from Paul's epistle to the Corinthians represent one of many examples proving the outlandish nature of the Trinity or God incarnate doctrine. Over and over and over, the lack of basic common sense in the Trinity and other man-God-Messiah doctrines shines forth for anyone to see who wishes to see truth. Unfortunately, People who are addicted to Christianity's social club, feel-good, 
or charismatic, charis, excuse me, charismatic chaos worldliness close their eyes, ears, and minds to anything that will prove their desired beliefs wrong. Notice, their desired beliefs, that's what they want to believe. Those who are addicted to Christianity's social club, feel good, and charismatic chaos worldliness, that's what they want to believe. That's why they're addicted to it. Such people are precisely who Paul is thinking about when he wrote these words to Timothy, quoting from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. I'll be quoting from the NASB Bible. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Amen, Brother Paul. Indeed, the world is infested with Christian leaders who teach what people want to hear and turn them away from the one and only God that was worshipped by Yeshua the Messiah and turns them towards the pagan myth of a God in the flesh Messiah, the pagan idolatrous myth. Obviously, those promoting the Trinity or God in the flesh Messiah are wrong. 1 Corinthians 11.3 shows clear distinction and superiority of God over Yeshua, precisely as it shows distinction between the followers of Yeshua and superiority of Yeshua over his followers. Let's continue with other verses which show Yeshua worships the same God that we should worship, which is obviously different than the pagan God in the flesh of traditional Christianity. In some passages, I will comment as I read the passages. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and, note the distinction, the Lord Yeshua Messiah. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua Messiah, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Next, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 31. The God and Father of our Lord Yeshua Messiah, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. Well, he knows I'm not lying also. Next, notice, God of, God of, God of. I mean, you'll hear this over and over. He's the God of Yeshua. Is Yeshua the God of himself? I mean, people, this is, this is common sense. Think for yourself. Think for yourself. Think for yourself. Take your brain back from your Christian leaders and think for yourself. Don't put your eternal destiny in someone else's hands. Do not outsource your eternal destiny. Claim it for yourself and seek it. And I'll be having a podcast upcoming soon, hopefully, on how outsourcing of eternity is a serious problem in Christianity. Next, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua Messiah, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Messiah. Note, again, the God of Yeshua Messiah. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Yeshua Messiah, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I pray, I indeed pray, that he will give you, the listener, a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of common sense, a spirit of trust in your own common sense to find the true God who is not a Trinity God. He is not a God in the flesh God. Seek God for yourself. Don't outsource your understanding of God to someone else. Don't outsource your eternal destiny to someone else. Use your common sense, people. It works. Next, Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua Messiah, praying always for you. And finally, 
from Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him, that is God, who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, that is, before God's throne, and, note the distinction, from Yeshua the Messiah, the faithful witness, witness to what? Witness to the true God, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us, excuse me, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, that is in Yeshua's blood. God don't have, God does not have any blood. And has made us, that is Yeshua, has made us kings and priests to his God, that is to Yeshua's God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, I just mentioned it was Yeshua's blood, not God. And I'm going to have a little side note here, because this is actually something that's come, come in the past that's frankly blasphemous. There are people who say that is actually God's blood. Believe it or not, those who promote that Yeshua is God in the flesh would probably argue, and I've heard people argue, I've had people argue this, that the blood mentioned in the verse just quoted is indeed God's blood. I am not joking. I'm not joking. Many Christians are so tragically deceived and indoctrinated that they honestly think the Almighty Creator God can bleed. They use poorly rendered verses, such as the one I will, I'm about to read from the King James Version Bible, to support their extreme desecration of the eternal Creator. And this I'll be reading from Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Now, I'll first be reading from the King James Version. Then I'll read from another version to show the correction. So this is how the, the King James Version, any of you who actually think that's the pure word of God, you, you, need to, you need to take a pill. The King James Version has got some serious problems. And I, you know, I know there are, I was at one time way back what I call a King James onlyist. There are people who think that's the only thing you can read. People, if you believe that, you're wrong, period, full stop. So this is Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock, over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now notice the way that reads. Obviously, if a person were to take this King James Version rendered verse as the infallible word of God, which unfortunately a lot of foolish people do, he or she will be led to the ridiculous, blasphemous, and horrific opinion that the Creator God can and did bleed. Fortunately, wiser, less biased, and more honest translators, who also happen to have a lot more transcripts than they did when they translated the King James, take into account all the available manuscripts and properly translate the verse more correctly as presented in the New English Translation, or the NET. And by the way, I personally consider the NET to be possibly one of the best English translations out there. At the very least, it's one of the, definitely one of the top three. It's the one I generally read myself, just to be honest. Acts chapter, and one reason is, I'm, I'm deviating here, but the NET Bible, one of the best things about it, it, it has over 60,000 translator notes. So it can let you do a, an in-depth, deep dive of various verses and look at other possible renderings or understandings. Basically, you're reading the translator's discussions and opinions along with the Bible, the notes. Very, very useful study Bible, the NET Bible. Okay, again, so Acts chapter 20, verse 28 from the NET. Watch out for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God that he obtained with the blood of his own Son. Now, notice the difference there. Now, you'll be aware that there are literally thousands of different. This is another little side note. There are literally thousands of differences between the thousands of available New Testament manuscript fragments. Yes, you heard me correctly. There are thousands of differences. Now, I hasten to add 
that the overwhelming majority of differences are minor and do not affect the meaning of the passage. However, some do affect the meaning. Therefore, do not ever take a translation of an important verse that affects fundamental doctrine as, quote, gospel truth, unquote, unless and until you verify it from the other possible renderings and by comparing it to the undisputed truths of the Holy Scripture, the Tanakh or Old Testament, as did the noble Bereans of Acts chapter 17, verse 11. And here's Acts chapter 17, 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. The scripture they searched, the scripture the Bereans searched, was the Tanakh or Older Testament. The New Testament did not exist at that time. I discuss in a separate article what is truly to be considered holy scripture on the Torah Messiah website, and I will have that, God willing, in podcast form also. All right. Unfortunately, many translations mimic the hideously blasphemous error that was shown that I just read from the King James Version rendering of Acts chapter 20, verse 28. The mere fact, I mean, really, people, the mere fact that anyone would even consider such a rendering, you know, that God can bleed, the fact that anyone would even consider that as being correct shows how very far such people are from grasping a fundamental understanding of the true God of Scripture. It is truly sad that so many people can be so sacrilegious. But I do not blame them, to be honest, since it is due to so many Christian leaders being servants of deception. Christians are simply being taught severe, profane, and possibly evil, even damning errors. May the eternal Creator render due justice to the servants of deceit who victimize and lead Christians, sincere Christians, astray, as Yeshua describes in Matthew chapter 18, verses 6 and 7. So reading from Matthew 18, 6 and 7. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a huge millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the open sea. Woe to the world because of stumbling blocks. It is necessary that stumbling blocks come. But woe to the person through whom they come. Referencing other passages, of the New Testament solidifies the accuracy of the NET Bible's rendering of Acts chapter 20, verse 28, which I just read previously, in which it shows that it was not God's blood. It was Messiah's blood. For instance, looking back at what we read earlier from Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, it is obvious that the blood is not God's blood since those passages clearly show the distinction between Yeshua and the God to whom he was devoted. Go back and note that in the verses. Go back and read it for yourself if you wish. That's Revelations chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. There are many similar passages which clearly prove that the blood was shed from Yeshua, not from God, it was Yeshua's blood. It was not God's blood. In many cases, the verses mentioning it also illustrate the distinction between God and Yeshua. Okay, so now returning to how Yeshua worships God as his God and how it proves he is not God. All right, so we'll continue on with more from the New Testament, which proves Yeshua is not God since, as I just said, he worshiped the same God that we should worship. All right, the passage I will now quote is also from Revelation. The speaker in the vision in Revelation is Yeshua the Messiah. So, of course, Revelation is a vision. And in this case, from these passages, the speaker within that vision is Yeshua the Messiah himself. 
This is a very important passage, people. Listen to this. Get ready. Are you sitting down? It might be good to do that, because this is a shocker. Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. I'll be reading from the King James Version. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Okay, people, this one, this is like a nuke that explodes and destroys the Trinity and the God in the flesh lie. In this one verse, one single verse from Revelation, Revelation chapter 3, verse 12, we have Yeshua the Messiah clearly referring to the one true God as his God four times Four times in one single verse, Yeshua refers to God as his God, thus showing distinction between between himself and God, thus proving he is not God. Yet, the God in the flesh promoting Christian leaders still insist that Yeshua is God. Are they really that stupid? Or is the motive of some of them more sinister than you may wish to imagine? Okay, so now a conclusion. How can most Christians miss what Scripture makes so clear? God is the God of Yeshua. Therefore, Yeshua is obviously not God. Worshiping Yeshua as God makes Yeshua the Messiah an idol, and those who claim he is God are idol worshipers. This is not to say that Yeshua is not worthy of all honor, love, and respect. He absolutely is. However, no one, not even Yeshua the Messiah, should be given the unique level of worship that is due only the Creator God. And Yeshua would be the very first person to tell you so. Yeshua Yeshua would be the first person to rebuke you for worshiping Him as God. Trinitarian theologians and others who promote the ridiculous God-in-the-flesh concept wish for us to believe, number one, Yeshua is his own God, number two. Yeshua is his own Father, and number three. Yeshua is also his own human self. In other words, as with virtually all the arguments of those promoting that Yeshua is God, they wish for us to discard common sense. They want us to throw away a common sense understanding of Scripture and to accept, instead, nonsense. Of course, they also want us to ignore the concept Context of Scripture. Context. Context of Scripture is the age-old enemy of Trinitarians and all others who wish to promote the Antichrist deception of a man-God Messiah. And I will have a podcast on the Antichrist. Get ready. The basic position of all those who advocate that Yeshua is God is the following. A man... Yeshua, was his own father, since they say that God is Yeshua's father, and that also Yeshua is God. So you got a man, Yeshua, is is his own father. Number two, also that Yeshua is his own God, since Yeshua prayed to God, but they say Yeshua is God, so was, was he praying to himself as God. So yeah, they want you to believe that Yeshua is his own God, that Yeshua is his own father, They also want you to believe that God was tempted since Yeshua was tempted despite the fact that it is impossible for God to be tempted by evil. They want you to believe that God died since Yeshua did die despite the fact that God cannot die. And then they want you to believe that a dead Yeshua God resurrected himself from the dead since if Yeshua is God and God resurrected Yeshua, then that means a Yeshua as God resurrected himself. 
it is so crazy that it's actually kind of difficult to even compose a sentence to describe it. People, time is short. Anyone with awake spiritual senses can see that prophecy is rapidly being fulfilled, which is to usher in the return of Yeshua the Messiah. The time has come to embrace truth and the true God or possibly perish eternally. Accept what the Scripture overwhelmingly shows and stop listening to idolatrous God-incarnate tall tales. The God-in-the-flesh Messiah concept is a pagan distortion of truth. It is blatant idolatry. Sadly, the only thing worse is that it is so often believed by the majority of Christians, despite the fact that it is so easy to prove false. As I said earlier, think for yourself. Use common sense. Do not let someone else dictate your eternal destiny. Take over that job for yourself. Seek the truth yourself. Use your common sense reasoning ability that God has given you. I pray that you will do that. And thank you for listening, and goodbye.